Hello and welcome to The REIT Report. I'm your host, Sarah Borgson-Keto. As NAREIT and its members work to ensure that the conversation on racial and social justice issues continues and that the momentum sparked in 2020 generates measurable and substantive change, I'm pleased to be speaking today with Dr. Kira Banks, co-founder of the Institute for Healing Justice and Equity at St. Louis University, where she's also an associate professor in the Department of Psychology. Dr. Banks, thank you for speaking with me today on these important issues. Thanks for having me. Is it your sense today that business leaders view diversity, equity and inclusion as essential within their organizations? And is it possible for companies to make progress on DEI if there isn't support from the very top? So I see those as two separate questions. So the first one in terms of do business leaders see it as imperative and a part of the the fabric of the organization? I, I really do think that it depends. I don't think that all all leaders in the business sphere um, understand that it is truly to be integrated into the way that we do what we do. Rather, many of them see it as a silo idea that maybe they tolerate or looks good because it's a fad. They see it as something that is not a value add, that is a must do because of pressure or must do because it's the trend. Um, I will say that I think since George Floyd's murder in 2020, which reverberated across the world, more leaders in business spaces are understanding that diversity, equity, inclusion is core to business. And so I think that there are more people in mainstream in the business space that were not in a way, you know, in the sphere of DEI before they understand that it is a part of the work of doing business nowadays. So I do think that, that the number of folks that understand the imperative has grown. To your question around, can the work happen if leadership is not on board? No, not for long. It won't be sustainable. And so if leadership is not a part of the work, you might have a wave of interest from folks who are maybe individual contributors, maybe even managers, directors, you know, higher level folks in the organization. But if you don't have leadership, that energy won't last if you don't have leadership saying, here's a line item, here's, here's some resources, here's time, you really need an organization that has everyone, regardless of if DEI is in their title or regardless of if they're on a task force that has it in its name, you need everyone to own the work. And so if leadership is not on board, it gives other people an opportunity to opt out. It's kind of like if we had an organization where leadership wasn't serious about safety, right? You might, there might be a lot of people who would be on board because they want a safe workplace, but if they understand that leadership isn't really serious about it, they're going to cut corners too. Why not? And so it wouldn't be a sustainable effort. Do things feel different to you now in terms of the level of commitment from the corporate world in bringing about real change on DEI? What would you say was perhaps lacking in previous efforts? So I don't know if I would go as far as to say things feel different. Um, the, the trend and the pattern feels similar to after, after Michael Brown Jr.'s murder in St. Louis in 2014. We had the Ferguson Commission. I was a consultant for that commission. And we saw a whole kind of domino and wave of protest across the country and the world uh, to speak out against racism and in police violence. And in particular, in St. Louis, we saw a lot of efforts to understand diversity, equity, inclusion for hmm, 
about a year and a half. I had a Harvard Business Review piece in 2015, I believe, that was talking about how to help managers discuss race in the workplace. That was a new and novel idea. Um, I believe many organizations held their breath and were like, can, can we hold our breath till this is over? And so I would say what I think is different is that more organizations are understanding that symbolic statements are insufficient, that we have to back that up with action, and that those sorts of symbolic gestures in some ways can actually do more harm than good if they're disingenuous, if they're not followed up by anything substantive. So there's more of a mainstream understanding that you have to walk the walk, not just talk the talk. But I see a very similar ebb and flow that uh, we see in terms of even just the history and the arc of anti-racism, that you have moments where there are like flashpoint moments and there's mass understanding and some would say, you know, reckoning, right? But then typically following those periods, there's also uh, really a mass kind of backlash and a push to kind of close the windows that have opened or close the doors that have opened. And so in many ways, what we're seeing is, is similar to what we've seen in the past. If we think about it as doors being pushed open, you know, perhaps we opened it wider than before. And so then the backlash, if we can, if we can manage the resistance, maybe doesn't close it to the same point. But that sort of back and forth, that ebb and flow is a common pattern that we see. And so I, I don't think we can rest on the fact that there was a mass awakening to say that things are different now. The only way that we can know that is if we continue to do the work. And and I've seen a number of organizations come to me. We're not even two years out George past George Floyd's murder say, what now? How do we continue the work? People are saying we're done. You know, Chauvin was found guilty. And so we're moving on. You know, they'll show other evidence of saying, we're, so we've moved on. We fixed racism. So why are we still talking about this? Can we talk about gender? Can we talk about other things? And so when I hear that, I know that an organization doesn't get it. Because it's not that we're done, because if we're really doing the work well, we continue to ask the question and reflect, how is racism showing up in an organization? Do we have racial equity? And we understand that racial equity isn't siloed, that racial equity absolutely means that we also talk about gender and disabilities and religion. Like all of these aspects of diversity and identity are connected. What do you see as some of the main starting points for companies or organizations that are just beginning to address DEI issues for the first time? So if an organization is just beginning, right, you're just at the start and you, it's a new muscle. Uh, I use the analogy of, of strength training when I work with organizations who are just starting because all of us at some point, whether it was we wanted to get stronger or we wanted to lose weight or we wanted to eat healthy because our stats came back and we weren't happy with them, right? We've all embarked on some sort of change in terms of a habit. And so for me, strength training is something that I do and, and I try to get stronger over time. And I use this analogy because if I want to get strong, I can't just want to get strong. I can't uh, just have that desire. I have to do something. And so maybe I get someone who knows something more than me. And so for organizations who are just starting out, you know, maybe you get a consultant, someone who knows more and can help you in this regard and can kind of walk with you through this path. But I can get a trainer and still not get strong, right? Why? Because I have to put in the work and I have to put in the work by showing up consistently over time. 
And I have to show up and get the reps in when it's uncomfortable, when it hurts, when maybe I rather would do something else, when maybe I really don't have time, but if I prioritize it and really want to get strong, I'll do it. And in that same way, an organization that's just starting out has to understand that they have to get their reps in, that it's not going to be easy. They're not always going to want to do what needs to be done, but if they want to get strong, they have to engage in the work and get their reps in consistently over time. So an organization that's just starting out needs to realize that this is a long game, that this isn't something that happens, gets fixed overnight, or where we see successes necessarily overnight. We should have, of course, kind of those short-term goals where we can have quick wins. And often if an organization is just starting, there are some, some changes they can make to, to show that they're serious, but we want short, medium and long-term goals. And so my suggestion is to think about, do you need external help and support? If so, invest in it. Don't go cheap. If you need that external help, get it. And then building a common language is one of the first steps that's, that's important so that you know what you're talking about. What do you mean when you say diversity, equity, inclusion? What are those or what do those mean to your organization? What are the grounding stories, metaphors, you know, how are you applying those concepts? Some organizations talk about it as EDIB in terms of equity, diversity, inclusion and belonging. Some people talk about it as JEDI, justice, equity, diversity, inclusion. What are the terms, the concepts for your organization, develop that common language so that you are talking about the same thing among the organization and really shift from thinking about diversity as a, as a problem to be fixed as something to do because of compliance, because you don't want to get sued, you know, so shift from thinking about it as a problem to be solved and to be managed and think about it as a value add because it really is. We know that homogeneity is okay if we're doing like cog in the wheel sort of rote tasks, but if we're trying to solve complex problems, which most, most businesses are trying to solve complex problems or trying to take their industry where it hasn't been before or to innovate and be at the cutting edge in a way that has not, has not been done before. They want to be at the front of the pack that actually requires heterogeneity. And we know that from research. And so whatever the why is, get really clear about why it's important to your organization, not just because someone said you should do it or because you feel pressure to do it. You need a clear why, not only individually, but institutionally, um, so that you shift from just a compliance framework to seeing it as a value add. So those are some of the early things that I would suggest. For companies that already have measures in place to advance DEI, how important are metrics for charting progress? And who, in fact, should be creating those metrics? I think metrics are essential. I think it's important to be able to track our progress, but metrics don't always have to be quantitative. And so I encourage organizations to not just do um, a score chart that or scorecard that looks at like numbers in terms of representation, numbers of people from different backgrounds. That is very kind of basic. That's the floor. That is not the ceiling because you can have people from different backgrounds in the room, but is their voice being heard? Are they respected? Again, it's this question of, of understanding what do we mean by diversity, equity, inclusion? We don't just mean having people from different backgrounds at the table. We really mean people being able to bring their whole selves into the space. So having that numerical diversity, but also interactional, having the inclusion where people feel like they are valued and have a sense of belonging, and then also equity, 
do people have access and opportunity? So you might look at your numbers in aggregate and say, oh, you know what? We're doing okay. But when you look at the higher levels of the organization, what do we see? When you look at the board, when we look at decision-making, consequential positions, what is the disaggregation of data there? And so organizations that are further along need to keep asking themselves those questions because that sort of racial equity lens it doesn't just require us to think about how race is shaping an experience or how racism might be uh, impacting an organization at the front end and saying, oh, we need to do something about this. It's a continual process because if we continue to ask the question, our hope is we get to the point where it matters less and less, right? But if we stop asking the question, we don't know. It's kind of like uh, people will say, well, can't we get to the point where we're just not talking about it, where, where people are just individuals, I use the example of the gender pay gap. We know that women make less than men on the dollar. And then if we disaggregate that by race, women of color make even less. If we know that and then say, but we're not going to talk about gender, how do we know if we've improved? How do we know if we fix the gap? If we don't track it over time, if we don't try an intervention and say, hmm, how did that do? Over time, you know, try something new. How did that impact things? We have to keep asking the question. And if we're doing our work, we shouldn't be embarrassed about the answers because we hope to see progress. And if we're doing the work, we want to know if we're not making progress so that we can change course. So metrics are essential. And then you asked who should be setting them. I think that's a both and question. And I don't know if you mean like uh, leadership versus individual contributors versus constituents or stakeholders. Everyone should be at the table in terms of articulating what matters. How do we know things are more equitable, more fair, more just? How do we know things are more inclusive? What does that look like? And so that's a question that stakeholders across a, a company internally and potentially also externally need to come together to answer. Nareed and its member companies have made the advancement of DEI a key goal for the commercial real estate industry at large. Given the scope of that goal, what are some ways to ensure that momentum and interest can be maintained over what will likely be a multi-year process? Yes. So I think it's important to frame it and make sure people understand that it is a multi-year process and to think about how on, in an ongoing way, you can build some ownership and create buy-in across, across constituents so that it's not just, oh yeah, there's this initiative that's happening over here but helping people connect with it in different ways. So for some folks, it might be that they are able to connect with the work uh, in terms of like a mentoring and pipeline and, you know, thinking about how we make sure we're changing the, the makeup of the industry more broadly. Other folks might be more passionate around maybe a financial aspect and in terms of equity and people having access and opportunity um, to certain deals or certain networks. And so they might want to engage in that way. Right. And so I would say it's important to think about the different opportunities for people to connect with the work so that it feels like it's broad ownership because any organization that has matured in this work understands that it's everyone's work, that even if you don't have DEI in your title, as I said earlier, right, that you're a part of it. And so I think the question is, how do you do that over time? I think the other thing is building in opportunities for people to share success stories and mistakes. 
and how mistakes are a learning point. I think sometimes organizations make the mistake of not sharing their mistakes and they only want to show what looks good and pretty. When actuality, we all can probably think of times where we learned more from our mistakes than our successes. When things went well, sometimes we didn't pause and reflect on why. But when things don't go well, we sometimes spend a lot of time beating up on ourselves. So how can we, rather than do that, learn from them? And I think it's important for us to model what we're trying and maybe what we struggled with and we didn't do so well around DEI because I, that, that sets a framework for some humility that no one knows all the ways to fix the inequities in our society, because if they did, we would just be listening to them and and lockstep do what they're telling us to do, but they don't exist. We have to work together. And so I, I really would encourage you all to think about how you model that humility, the learning framework. Adam Grant had a book. It was my favorite book of 2021 called think again. And he said, the best leaders are those who are willing to think again. So if you find yourself responding, we've always done it this way, or this is the way it's done or anything of that nature, he, his argument is that, yeah, no, the best leaders are willing to think again, because what is it harm to think again? If your conclusion, if your process is so great, you'll come back to it and that'll be where you land. But what if you're willing to think again and you take in new data and you change your position, you change your approach. And so that sort of modeling and, and really showcasing flexible thinking and willingness to think innovatively in the industry could set you up as a leader, even if you haven't made all the progress you want to, but you're modeling the process And Dr. Banks, we've covered lots of ground, but is there anything you'd like to add at this point? No, I really do think you you covered a lot of the main points in terms of, you know, a snapshot of what organizations need to think about. You know, I think the one thing I will say is to to build off the piece I just said about modeling mistakes. In the Harvard Business Review, the recent issue, the January, February 2022 issue, they talked about leadership for transformation. And one of the articles shared the story of one of the railroad, railway companies in Europe that carried Jews to the death camps, basically. And they spent years in court because they didn't want to admit their part. They didn't want to admit their wrongdoing. And leaders in the organization said after years of lawsuits, you know, we should have just admitted. We should have just taken accountability. And so I've always said that we need to be willing to to know our skeletons in the closet and name them and be non-defensive. So this is a little bit about like as a leader in this work, what do you need to be like? I think you need to be willing to be non-defensive. I need you to be willing to to rather than hide the skeletons in the closet, shine a light on them. You can control the narrative better when you shine the light on it, when you're doing something to, to right the wrongs. And so as organizations move through this work, I think a spirit of non-defensiveness, an approach of hearing feedback as a gift are key individual characteristics as we do the larger systemic work. Great, Dr. Banks, thanks so much for your time. Thank you for having me. And to our listeners, to learn more about the steps NEREIT and its members are taking to advance DEI in the industry, please visit our website, REIT.com. 